In the middle of the last century, the village of Saint-Souvert-en-Puisset was a rustic backwater, despite its proximity to Paris, three hours by train to the nearest station, followed by a rough cart ride. The Puisset was called the Poor Burgundy, to distinguish it from the rich Burgundy of the great vineyards. The landscape was dotted with ponds which bred malaria and smelled of caltrops and marsh mint. Coppice grew thickly in the ravines, where the wild strawberries and lilies of the valley were guarded by pitiless brambles. Game abounded in the woods. There were ancient stands of pine, which Colette loved for their scent. The spongy paths she followed when she gathered wild mushrooms or hunted for butterflies with her brothers were carpeted with violet heather. It was a secretive, inbred region of casual morals, hard winters, poaching, and poor farms. Wet nursing was, as late as the fin de siècle, a lucrative sideline for the farmers' wives. Saint-Sauveur had once been a fiefdom of the Counts of Auxerre. It is built on a hill, with houses, writes Colette, which come tumbling down the slope into the valley. There are two noble edifices at its peak a chateau of medieval provenance, reconstructed during the reigns of Louis XV and XVI, and a Saracen tower dating from the 12th century. The streets are steep and narrow. They were unpaved in Colette's youth and would flood after a violent rainstorm. Walls of ferruginous sandstone enclosed the gardens of the houses, two stories high for the most part, with ochre and gray facades and rust-colored grillwork. The autumnal colors of the earth and the architecture give the village an air of decline, even in summer. It's not very pretty, admitted Colette, who claimed to adore her birthplace, at the same time that she called it mean, close-fisted, and confined. Once she left it, she never returned except on business or to refresh her memory for a piece of prose. But Saint-Sauveur had a chronicler long before Colette. His name was Cranson, and he was a local magistrate during the last decade of the Second Empire. One imagines him as a haughty little man in a frock coat and pince-nez, bored and embittered but vain of his probity. One of his duties was to pass along to his superior, the imperial prosecutor in Auxerre, such village scandal as he deemed worthy of interest. His reportage, comic in the Balzacian style, makes delightful reading. It focuses, naturally, on the village notables, and one in particular, a troublesome bachelor named Jules Robineau du Clos. Colette describes Jules Robineau, Sido's first husband, as a striking figure on a fine horse, dark and haggard, courteous but aloof, a Don Juan among the serving maids. He was known to his fellow villagers, says she, as the Savage. But the real nickname of this appealing Burgundian Heathcliff was the Ape. There are no surviving portraits of him, but Cranson calls him monstrous to look at. He suffered from a curious deformity, fourteen extra teeth growing in a double row, and as a boy of sixteen he had submitted to the torture of having them extracted in one sitting— the year was 1829. There was no anesthesia except alcohol. Jules Robineau and his younger sister, Louise, were the heirs to a handsome fortune in farmland, forests, vineyards, and village real estate. 
In 1836, their mother died in a lunatic asylum, and they lost their father later that year. By the terms of his will, the 16-year-old girl became the ward of a cousin, Monsieur Givry, a provision that suggests her brother, at 22, was already markedly unstable. Givry promptly married Louise to his own son. If the groom had any qualms about the taint of madness in his wife's blood, they were assuaged by her dowry. The tormented brother lived a lonely, dissolute, and chaotic life. He declined to wed, writes Cranson, taking a concubine who was not in the least impoverished under his roof. This doesn't seem quite fair. Surely no local girl of his own rank would have had him. His peasant mistress, Marie Mitton, ruled his household, suffered his violence, and in 1843 bore him a son, for all of which she was promised 10,000 francs in his will. At the time of his marriage to Sidot, Robineau found Marie a husband, 14 years her junior, and Colette knew this old Seb as a widowed neighbor with whom her mother traded rose cuttings.